Well, we're going to go to the book of Job, chapter number 25. Um, I know that we have been in the book of Job on Wednesday nights, uh, going through the book. Um, but Miss Pam and I will be leaving in the morning to head down to Branson for a pastor and wives retreat. Uh, go down there and uh, get a little R&R, if possible. And uh, so we won't be here on Wednesday night. I thought, hey, keeping up with uh, what we're doing with Job, might as well just keep it going right here. So Job chapter 25. And as you get there and you look down, you'll see Job chapter 25 only has six verses. And that means nothing. <laughs> whatsoever. I mean, not a thing. Not at all. Um, because actually we're going to look some into chapter 26 and some into chapter 27. So I just didn't want you to get too excited when you saw there was only six verses in 25. Heart deferred, make it the heart sick. So I, I didn't want you to, to, you know, anyway, okay, so we'll, we'll move on with all of this. Um, the book of Job has some very interesting lessons in it. I mean, truly. Uh, I've learned a lot as I've gone through this, and, and, and I'm thankful, thankful for it. Job chapter 25, and verse number 1, Then answered Bildad the Shuite, and said, Dominion and fear are with him. Talking about with God. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon who doth not his light arise? How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm, and the son of man, which is a worm. I'll leave your Bible open there because we are going to look at some more. Um, we're going to come to the end of the debate in this tonight. But Job still has problems. Problems haven't been solved. So we're going to glean what we can from this. Let's pray. We'll get started. Father, one more time, we just ask for your power, guidance in all that we say and do, wisdom from above. We need that without a doubt. And Lord, I want to thank you for the good crowd that's out tonight on this uh, cold uh, December night. And I thank you for all of those that are watching by live stream. And I pray that you'd use your word effectively tonight in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. Uh, help us, uh, Lord, that we might better live for you. We pray and thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing, for the reading of the word of God. And please do be seated. It's really something because all through this debate, I mean, the men have had a lot to say, haven't they? I mean, each time it got to be their turn, they've had a lot to say. And then in this third round of debates with Job's friends, he, it ends with just a few words from Bill Dad. He doesn't make a real long uh, speech about all of this. Uh, just for the sake of those that may not have uh, been here for uh, the time that we've gone through the book of Job, we know that uh, we're talking about the faith of Job, and we know that um, we know that Job was a righteous man. He was perfect and upright. He eschewed evil. Uh, God said he was a perfect man. I mean, certainly he was just a man, and he was not perfect in the sense that we look at it, but he was doing his best to live for God. 
He would go and, and he would sacrifice the way he should, not only for himself, but for his children. He was living a life of righteousness to the best of his ability as a man, doing what was right. And uh, then the devil made his way to God, and, and uh, I don't know how, how else to say it, except that God pretty much just opened the gate for the devil to do what he wanted to with Job, except take his life. Well, so in a short amount of time, uh, Job lost all that he had. He lost his family, uh, except for his wife. He lost his uh, riches. Uh, he lost his health. He went downtown. He was sitting in a pile of ashes with a broken piece of pottery, scraping boils off of his body, boils which he had from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And his wife uh, was fed up with him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? She was done with all of it. And uh, then his friends came to encourage him. Yeah. And uh, with friends like that, you don't need enemies. Because what they did was continually accuse Job of having sin in his life, and that's why all of these bad things were happening to him. And now, man, they just pounded it on him, and over and over and over again. And Job defended himself, because Job knew that that was not the case. It wasn't that Job was completely sinless, but he knew that he had been living a righteous life in front of God, doing what he had to do. And he knew that, that this could not be because of some Wicked, covered up sin in his life because it just was not there. We have to remember God is the one that told him, that said to us that uh, Job was a perfect man upright and doing all those things that were right. And he's been debating these three friends for some time now. They have continued to pound him uh, with the thought of, Job, if you would just repent of whatever it is you're hiding from God, God's going to see that, and God's going to bless you, and everything's going to be just right. And Job just continually has tried to convince them that, well, that's just not the case. And we know that through time, that uh, through, through the different debates, that Job was very patient with these friends of his and, and uh, uh, didn't come down on them too hard. But we saw uh, last Wednesday night, we saw that how Job came to the end of his rope. I mean, he was like, I am sick of these guys picking on me this way. And it brought him to a place truly of a bitter spirit. It brought him to a place of bitter spirit. And uh, he's still fighting that. And we're going to see that a little bit. Um, so Bildad gives his speech, very short, six verses there. Um, and the main point of what he said is found in verse number two, where the Bible says, dominion and fear are with him, with God. He maketh peace in his high places. And so what Bildad was saying was dominion or authority is with God. What he was saying is that God is all powerful. He is all powerful. Absolutely so. And he goes on to say that fear is with God. Um, God is not afraid of you, uh, but you would do well to fear him. He maketh his peace in high places, he said there. Uh, God's not going to ever come down to our level waving some white flag of surrender. No, no, no. To make peace with God. If you're going to make peace with God, you need to meet him, uh, meet with him and give in to his terms. Uh, you don't bargain with God. You do it God's way or you're not doing it the right way is pretty much what goes on. So this is a summary. Let me just give you a summary of Bill Dad's uh, speech to Job. Here's kind of what he said in a nutshell. 
Job, um, go ahead and continue to fight with God if you choose to do that. But resistance is futile. That's kind of what what he tells him here. Um, God is God Almighty, and you, Job, well, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Okay, so he didn't say that. But he said, you're not near the man that you think you are, is pretty much what he told Job, what Bildad told Job. You're not near the man that you think you are. God is God, and you're not, and you, 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 you can go ahead and fight with them, but this isn't going to work out. Now, Bildad was a man of few words this time, but not Job. When Job began to give his answer, no, 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 he starts out with some pretty strong sarcasm, uh, mocking uh, the, the supposed wisdom of his friends there in chapter 26 and verse 3. He says this, How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? So Job goes on to continue to argue, um, trying to get these guys to rethink their position about why all of this has befallen him. He, he's trying to convince them of the truth of the matter. And uh, in this, we're going to see the, we're going to see the uh, beauty of Job's faith that is here, but also we're going to see the bitterness that has taken root in Job's heart. So Job goes on to make a renewed statement of faith, a declaration that, hey, I, I have done the right thing. Uh, and he starts out declaring that the first part of Bildad's uh, statement was very correct, that God Almighty is all-powerful, and that resisting him is definitely an exercise in futility. Uh, He goes on to say that his power extends even beyond the grave. Verse number 5 in chapter 26, dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Hell hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. So Job talks of hell And he talks of its location. He says they're under the water. And it's his way of saying that it's in the depths of the earth. It is is there that dead things are are formed, he says, are organized, are brought together, where they're naked before the eyes of God with nothing to prevent prevent God from seeing their destruction. It uh, It seems as though Job is saying, yes, God does make peace with men on his turf and on his terms, and he even settles the score with the wicked in hell on his terms. The resistance that you speak of, Bildad, is not only futile, but it's sheer foolishness. Uh, Okay, let me put that in a nutshell. Uh, It's really crazy to fight with God. It's really crazy to go against God. I mean, you're, you're not going to ever be on winning, uh, winning uh, 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 terms, winning turf, if you are going against God. And Job outright just says, you're right about all of that. But he goes on talking about how God exercises his power over all of the earth. God in his power hung the world in place on nothing. Although it hang, and although it hangs on nothing, it's still there. So what he says in verse number 7, God hangs at, hang, hung the, the world on nothing, but it's still there. And he designed the clouds to hold great amounts of water in the sky. He talks about this in verse number 8. He, he designed the clouds to hold great amount of water, water in the sky, and yet the clouds are not rent. That's the way he says it in that old language. It just means the clouds are not torn or the clouds are not ripped from the weight of all the water being there in the clouds. Now, this is interesting. 
I know that water weighs 8.33 pounds per gallon. I gained that knowledge while working in the oil field anyway. 8.33 pounds per gallon. Pretty heavy, truly. Um, When an inch of rain falls on one square mile of our world, it is equal to 206.3 million gallons of water. Just the rain on one square mile. Um, That amount of water weighs a little over 1.6 billion pounds. 1.6 billion pounds. That comes out of a cloud. And yet all of that water gathered in a cloud will float in the sky like some 206 million pound jug floating there in the sky. I mean, only God can do something like that, truly. And if that cloud was to rip open at any time, if it was to rent, if it was to rip open and dump all of that water at one time, well, it would be dumping 1.6 billion pounds. Now, try to imagine what that would do to uh, houses or cars or forests, not to mention living creatures, you know, like us. Yeah, that could, be, uh, that could pretty, be pretty rough. But God designed it where it would fall on the earth in little drops called rain and refresh the earth and cause things to grow. That's the power of our God. That's the God we're talking about. And Job, was, he, was, he was pretty enamored with that. He mentioned that back in chapter number 5. Uh, But anyway, he confirms that God made the clouds and that he created this wonder that's called rain. Um, And he he goes on to say it was also God that set the boundaries between the land and the sea, also between day and night. And even though clouds may come between, even though dark clouds may come between God's face and this earth, excuse me, me, and even though uh, that uh, 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 thunder might shake this earth at times and Lightning might strike the earth at times. There is not one drop of rain and there is not one bolt of lightning that is ever out of God's control. God is in control. And he talks about that on down through uh, verse 8. You know, whatever we might learn of God through his creation, it doesn't even begin to clarify to us who God is or what he can do. No, it talks about that in verse number 14 there. Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Who can understand? So Job is saying, look, all these things that I just talked about, they're really just a minuscule part of all the things that God has done and is doing. And by the way, Job goes on, without reading all the texts, stay with me here. Job goes on, and by the way, how much of that do we really understand? You, you know, you, get a, you, you see a weatherman get on the news and talk about the weather and all these different things. They're the only ones that can lie and keep their job. 
I mean, they understand a little about what's going on, but they don't understand what's going on. And Job says, who, who, how much of this do we really understand? And, and, and he goes on to say something like this. That doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the magnificence and the power of God. And it doesn't. Not at all. No, I'm telling you, when, when I was thinking about this, when I was thinking about the rain in the cloud and how it's floating above us, and how God maintains that and keeps it from dumping all at one time on whatever. I mean, just that by itself, truly, should make us fall on our face and worship a holy God, how he takes care of us, how he watches over this earth. So Job was telling Bildad, if you want to continue to declare how great God is, hey, you're not going to get any arguments from me. I understand completely. We have a great God. But he goes on. And in verse, uh, chapter number 27, Job makes a very solemn oath of innocence. And it was a serious oath, truly. Come on, he's trying, been trying to convince these friends all this time. I'm innocent. You guys, you're not listening. I'm innocent. And once again, chapter number 27, verse 1 says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, as God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment? And the Almighty, who hath vexed my soul? All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. The words there, as God liveth, in verse number 2, are kind of like the words, uh, so help me God, so help me God, that we, well, it's been used for generations to seal an oath when swearing in to tell the truth in court so help me god or 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 when a government official is sworn in before taking office they use this oath so help me god anyway with job in declaring this oath he gives god the credit for the trials that he had gone through but he also gives god the credit for the bitter state that he's now in in doing that, Job acknowledges that there is no greater power, there is no higher authority that oversees the affairs of men, and Job is willing to trust the truthfulness of those statements to the justice of Almighty God. But he makes some commitments also. Verse number four there says in verse 20, chapter 27, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. And God forbid that I should justify you. We're going to see some bitterness leak out here. God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Um, he says this. He starts off with this. I, I'm not going to speak wickedly. First thing he says. Nothing immoral, nothing perverse is going to come out of my mouth. And, and he says I, that he will not speak lies. And he says he will never accept the argument of his so-called friends. Never. I'm not going to accept this. Uh, and he will never deny 
his integrity. And he says he will continue to live as righteously as he knows how to live. His conscience is clear, what he says in those verses, and his heart does not condemn him. Well, preacher, why is that? The man's innocent. He's innocent. Up to this point, really even up to this point, Job has done a pretty good job in keeping his bitterness in check. But as he goes on, we can see the, that the seed of bitterness has sprung up. Um, and it's shown by a curse that's aimed at his enemies as he speaks on. Um, look at verse number 7 there. Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that riseth up against me as the unrighteous. Now hold, hold a time out right here. Look up here for just a second. Um, he's not talking to some congregation. He's talking to those three friends that have been accusing him all this time. That's who he's talking to. And that's who these statements are addressed toward, without a doubt. So again, verse 7, Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that rises up against me as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul, will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? You know, it's really something because Job gives the same seriousness to these words like he is, he gives seriousness to these words like he is fully expecting God to uphold his integrity and then to hold these friends accountable for smearing his character. I mean, he's speaking like he believes this is going to happen. So he asked God to judge anyone who would attack his integrity in the very same way that God would judge a wicked or unrighteous person. Remember who he's talking to. And he asked God to give those who attack him no more hope than a hypocrite may have, which is none. A hypocrite has no hope. No, no, no here's what I'm talking about here. Someone that claims to be saved by the grace of God but it's not really saved by the grace of God. Somebody acts like, tries to act like a Christian, but is not a Christian, not a born-again believer. Come on, hypocrite, it's just, the word just means actor. And someone who professes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but doesn't really know the Lord Jesus Christ, is a true hypocrite, and they have no hope. Come on, because if you're not truly saved by the grace of God, the only, the only thing that awaits your future is a real place called hell. It's just a fact. And so the words here are getting stronger. And he asked God to reject, he asked God to reject their cries of help or mercy just the way that God refuses to hear the cries of the wicked. This is pretty strong stuff right here. We hear about the patience of Job, we hear about the faith of Job, and Job did have some patience, truly. And Job had tremendous faith. And we'll see that by the time we get to the end 
of this book. But he had a bout with bitterness. And that's not helpful to anyone. No way, shape, or form. Not at all. Well, preacher, let me ask you a question. Well, don't drag it out too long because we want to get out of here. Well, you know, if those guys have been talking to you like that, what would you have done? I, you know, I, it really, it's, I, boy, you know, you think, man, I wish I'd have handled, I, no, you think, surely I would handle that differently. But there's a good chance that we would even be more radical than Job was. I mean, he's been handling it pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, I would have to say that the curse that Job prays upon his friends, it, it's a little shocking, isn't it? Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Our first thought of Job, I mean, it's Job, Job, oh Job, yes, he lost, his, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost all his worldly goods, his wife said he ought to just curse God and die, but the patience of Job, it reigned true, and by the end, everything was great for Job. That's pretty much the way we look at the book of Job. But there's a lot between chapter 1 and the end chapter of this book. And a lot of things happened there along the way. And he was just a human being. And he faced a lot of things. And he faced these three friends, quote unquote, friends, uh, that were sure that he was a wicked, hypocritical liar and that he was going through what he was going through because he had some hidden sin in his life and how terrible all of that was for sure. But you think of this. You think of this. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. It, it. Them claiming that, that everything he was going through was just a righteous judgment of God. They have all but said that Job, they have all said, they have all but said that Job was cursed because Job was corrupt. And so Job is really just turning uh, their own judgment back on them. He knows that God is the only one who can prove him innocent or guilty to them. So with this curse, Job's saying to these friends, you continue to say that I'm guilty. And I have sworn to you time and time again that I'm innocent. And I'm willing to trust God to prove which one of us is right. So he gives a warning to his friends. Stay with me here. We don't have, we don't have a lot longer ago. He gives a warning to his friends. I'm sure you've read it before. Look at verse number 11. It says, I will teach you by the hand of God that which is with the Almighty will I not conceal. Behold, all ye yourselves have seen, have seen it. Why, why then are ye thus altogether vain? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage of oppressors, which they shall receive of the Almighty. If his children be multiplied, it is for the sword, and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those that remain of him shall be buried in death, and his widows shall not weep. Though he heap up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the clay. Job agrees with his friends that God's going to judge the wicked. 
and Job agrees with his friends that the downfall of the wicked is going to be great. And when God does take them down, he's going to remove them from their place forever. And then he implies that they should listen to their own counsel. Um, If they do not want to suffer the fate of the wicked, then they should quit aligning themselves against those that are righteous. This, for all practical purposes, is the end of the debate. But it doesn't solve Job's dilemma. He's still kind of just out there wondering why all this is going on. Um, His friends, they here may not have any more doubts to vocalize, but we have to remember that they are still absolutely convinced. I mean, they are convinced that Job is guilty. And Job continues to maintain his innocence uh, because... The guy's innocent. But again, he has no explanation of why he suffered what he has suffered. If it was God that caused them, he has no um, understanding of why God would do that. It's all still a mystery to Job. I mean, we have gone through 22 chapters of debate and still the answer that Job was hoping to find when all this debate started, it's not there. And, and, and his friends, well, they are still as much in the dark as when the whole debate began also. They know what they believe, but they really don't have any answers. So Job provides uh, himself the answer to this big dilemma in the next chapter. And I would encourage you to read it before we get into it next time. We're not going to go there. The, The answers that he and these friends needed could only come from God. They could only come from God. They could continue on with this debate till the cows come home. I mean, forever. And still not come up with a conclusive answer to it. Because Job knew he was innocent. They were absolutely absolutely sure that he was guilty. And um, there wasn't moving either side. So they were in need of something that they could only get from God. They uh, needed godly wisdom. They need godly wisdom. In the end of this chapter, it's as if the proverbial light bulb has come on in Job's head. And he realizes when men don't have the answers they need, please get this, I want you to take home something. When men don't have the answers that they need, it's pointless to keep looking for them, the answers, in themselves pointless it would cause a lot of um, fretting fuming worry sleepless nights so let's take home this truth from these 
chapters that we looked at tonight. Let's take home this truth. Um, don't wait until you have no more arguments against whatever you may be battling. Don't wait until you have no more arguments to come to the realization that you need the wisdom that only God can give. I can't speak for anyone else. I can only speak for me. Uh, There's been times that, uh, that I know I've spoken out of turn. There's been times that I have maintained some things that I was absolutely sure were positive and true and right. And uh, they weren't. Been those times. There's been times that I have talked a lot more than I should have when I should have been listening. There's been time, without a doubt. And there have been times uh, during those times that I have just silently asked God for wisdom to try to uh, sort things out. And pretty much what God had, what God said to me at that time, not in this vernacular, but pretty much what he said to me at this, that time was, shut up, Bill. Just quit talking. Just be quiet. You don't have an answer? Don't say anything. You don't have direction? Just keep it to yourself. When you need an answer, I'm the one that can supply it. And I will if you'll give me due time. That's our God. He does want to direct us. And He does want to help us. And He does want to uh, help us to help others along the way also. He, He wants that. He wants that. So what we do... To stop from having some debate like this is we start by seeking the wisdom of God that we need. Lord, I need wisdom. Ask God to grant us the patience that we need to wait upon Him until He provides an answer. Um, As well as the heart that we need to accept it when He does and apply it to our life. It's good that we would be willing to wait on God until He gives an answer. But, but even more important, as I already said, but even more important that we're willing to accept whatever answer God gives and apply it to our own life. Because a lot of times, uh, the answer that God gives us is not necessarily the one that we thought was right. Or it's not the one that uh, we really wanted at that time. And so we have to be willing not only to ask God for His wisdom and wait for Him to give us answers about certain things along the way, but we have to be willing to take the answer that He gives us and apply it to our life. I mean, if we will consistently do that, we're going to be spared a lot of grief. And we're going to be spared a lot of strife. And I can guarantee you, we will be spared a lot of bitterness, which is not a help to anyone. I'll say it again. 
Bitterness is not a help to anyone. That's why God prompts us so strongly about forgiveness. Job was a good man, wasn't he? He knew God, didn't he? He talked to him on a regular basis. Even with all of these friends accusing him the way that they were. And I know, no, 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 we, we, we already touched it, you know, about how we would react if we were in the same spot. Even with all these, these three friends saying all the things they were saying about Job and to Job. I have to believe that if he would have in all of this, instead of just getting frustrated and, you know, I've had it and all that, if he would have just asked the Lord for wisdom. To speak or not to speak. To handle it the way that God would have him to handle it instead of the way that he chose to handle it. I mean, he asked God to curse these people. Was that the will of God? Oh, no. 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 The outcome of Job's debate with these three friends was a bitter spirit. Um, But it hasn't, to this point, it hasn't provided him anything. The spirit that he's now in. And now I'm saying we're at the end of the debate, but Job still has problems. And the problems that he has, well, he needs the wisdom of God. Because only God can give him answers about this. Now, let me, let me wrap it all up. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the lesson. From the day that we're saved by the grace of God, God is teaching us. He is doing his best to mold us and make us. To be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Sometimes in that process, he puts us us in situations that we'd rather not be in. And he may bring people into our life that we'd rather not be around. Personally. But God is sovereign. And He has purpose for those situations and He has purpose for those people. And so if we ignore what God is trying to do, or if we allow it to make us um, if we allow it to make us just frustrated and angry and bitter, in, instead of instead of receiving what God is trying to do in our life. Um, we're going to miss out a lot on what God's doing.
some years back, um, as I was, uh, some years back, when I first started to try to learn how to pastor when I got here, I was praying one day. And I was praying something like this. God, why are these people here? I just don't understand why you why why do why why have you brought them here? I know you think I'm more spiritual than that. And I was uh, griping to God. Brother Arnold, you probably never do that. Brother Claire, I mean, no, no. I was griping. Why are these people here? I don't even know why they're here. And God in his goodness and grace and mercy, in that still small voice, stopped me in my tracks, not audibly, but spoke to my heart and said this. Well, they're here for you. Now, some of you scratch your head going, was he talking about me? <laughs> See me after church, I'll tell, her, tell you whether it was you or not. No, no, no. No. It was in my own humanness that I was talking to God that way. And when God told me that, it made me very ashamed. And I repented that I even had those types of feelings. That I would say something like that to God. I repented of that. And God used those people to teach me. He did. I can honestly say that. He he used them to do some things in my heart and in my life. That they may, that only they may have been able to do. Because it was then that I began to seek God for the wisdom that I needed to do what I needed to do for that certain situation. Instead of just uh, being bitter about it. I've learned this, Brother Joe. The more willing I am to uh, wait on God, after asking him for wisdom to direct me in whatever situation may be. It seemed like uh, the more he shows me. And to just handle it the way that Jesus would handle it until I do get those answers. Come on. Showing people the love of God. You know, like Jesus commanded us to do. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. As I have loved you, like, shall you also love one another? Here's what I've figured out as we've gone through the book of Job. There's some hard lessons to learn there. But if we'll take heed and we'll allow God to have his way, 
we can learn. And we don't have to learn the hard way. I've learned a lot of things the hard way because I am so hard-headed. But I really am learning after 36 years of being saved and almost 13 years trying to pastor. I am learning that the answers are in here. And if we'll just take heed to this, we certainly don't have to suffer as much as we try to deal with things in the flesh. Let's stand. Stand with me, would you? Thank you for being so patient. Maybe you have a need in your life tonight, whatever it might be, however God may have spoken to your heart. Maybe God's been dealing with you about something, or maybe you've been going through some trials yourself. Job remained faithful to the end, and when we get there, we'll see how God blessed him, even though that he had some times, hard times like this. God blessed him because he did remain faithful. I, I don't know how God may have spoken hearts tonight, or even if he did. We're just going to open the altar and let him have his way. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I stand before you, uh, Lord, thankful for the way that you've worked in my own life and my own heart. I am thankful, I must say, for the trials that you have brought in our, into our lives uh, over the years of being in ministry. And how certain situations have changed us. And they have changed the course of our life. And the way that we handle situations even now. Lord, they've changed us for the better. And certainly I don't even claim to have the faith of Job. And definitely not the patience of Job. But Lord, I I want to thank you. That as uh, you give wisdom that certainly we've been able to handle things the way that you would have us to do so. So, Father, we're going to open up this altar. Whatever needs to be done, I pray would. I I don't know how you may have spoken to hearts tonight. I I just pray that folks would respond um, in a way that will help them to draw closer to you. We pray and we ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Some have already come to the altar. You need to come. Why don't you just let God have his way? Whatever he wants to do, uh, you'll not go wrong. So what's the word, Brother Mike?